0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Pogel Podcast. I'm Matt Targa, producer of the Pogel Podcast for The Pogel Project. Pogel stands for Process-Oriented Guided Inquiry Learning, a student-centered approach that guides students in constructing their own understanding of content and helps them develop important skills such as teamwork, communication, critical thinking, and problem solving. The Pogel Podcast is an ongoing conversation from the Pogel Project that celebrates innovative educators both in and out of the classroom. We have a handful of special episodes to share with you over the next several months in 2022. Today, we bring into focus Pogel's upcoming climate justice symposium that will take place in June of 2022. Pogel practitioner, Dr. Kristen Plessel, Interim Associate Vice Chancellor for Academic Affairs University of Wisconsin-Whitewater interviews Dr. Deb L. Morrison of the University of Washington. Dr. Morrison will be one of the main presenters at the upcoming Climate Justice Symposium. She works at the intersection of justice, climate science, and learning. She is a climate and anti-oppression activist, scientist, learning scientist, educator, mother, locally elected official, and many other things besides. Deb works in research practice policy partnerships from local community to international scales. She works to iteratively understand complex socio-ecological systems through design-based and action-oriented research while at the same time seeking to improve human-environment relationships and sustainability. She draws on an eclectic range of justice theory to inform her work in the world and to foster her continued journey for transformative liberation. More information about Dr. Morrison's work can be found at www.debmorrison.me. Kristen and Deb, thanks for being here today. And Kristen, I will now pass the baton over to you.
1: Hello, everyone. I am Kristen Plessel from The Focal Project and here with Deb Morrison. Deb and I have been part of a group who've been crafting the Pogol Climate Justice Symposium, along with Shannon Wachowski, Carol Fish, Heather Price, and Sonia Remington-Doucette. Deb, I'm so glad you could join us here today. Um, Can you please just first introduce yourselves? Who is Deb Morrison and why might I want to be talking to her?
2: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, uh, So I'm actually Deb L. Morrison. There's two Deb Morsons working in the area of climate justice. There's a Deb K. Morrison as well. And uh, I'm a learning scientist at the University of Washington. And I work broadly in research practice policy collaborations across the nation and across the world. Um, I'm here today actually on West uh, territory from on Pender Island, British Columbia. I live in Canada. Um, and work remotely for the last five years. So yeah, I have my fingers in all sorts of different collaborations with state science supervisors, with um, First Nations, Tribal Nations, with um, different organizations, justice focus organizations.
1: And can you tell us a little bit about what is climate justice? Um, you know, I threw this out, uh, the Pogo Climate Justice Symposium, but what does that term mean? It's different than some of the other things we I want to talk about.
2: Yeah, when we think about climate change education, there's a lot of different language that's floating around. We hear climate science, climate change, global warming. And more recently, especially, we've heard a lot more about climate justice. Um, climate justice has a lot of different meanings depending on what context you're working in. Um, and it stems from really deep, long-term work in histories and communities of color and tribal communities around environmental justice. Um, way, like way back, but it was sort of formalized around 1992 with the principles of environmental justice. And then in the early 2000s, I want to say 2002, um, internationally, they created the 27 principles of climate justice, um, and they drew on the American environmental justice principles. And so those are called the Bali uh, climate justice um, principles, because they were created in Bali, Indonesia. And um, they really help us think about you know who's at the table defining what is an issue of justice? Um, what form of justice are we talking about? Are we talking about racial, economic, gender justice, intergenerational justice? Um, and so it really is contextual to like what the specific problem we're dealing with is. And I think the commonality is trying to understand as we work and as we think, and as we understand problems of climate change, How do we understand their disproportionate impacts and solutions that are being generated from different communities that that may need to be considered in in really critical ways?
1: When I'm thinking about the Pogol communities classrooms, um, I think climate change and global warming are more common and understood uh, terms. So how is climate justice different than those concepts and why might we wanna think about them?
2: Yeah, we, we know that there's also educational justice. So we know from work in educational justice that um, to really engage the interests and foster strong scientific identities for youth, um, we actually need to tie into who youth are and, and the lived experiences they have, and that has to do with justice. So if you're a young girl in a chemistry class, if you're a young person of color in a physics class, like those are things that are not as common as we'd like to be in terms of like how we're fostering positive roles into the future. We still have gender inequity. We still have racial inequity in science careers in those spaces. And so what we really want to do is we want to ensure that what we're teaching and how we're teaching it is tying to those youth. Um, And for youth that are more normative, and the classic is, of course, the young white boy, right? Um, but the, there's other ways that you might be more sort of centered in a classroom. For for those that are more normative, we also want them to experience um, differences uh, that really reflect the world in front of them so that they're better to be collaborators, to be innovators in their fields. And so it might look like something like if you're studying... Um, Water chemistry, for instance, say you're doing a Pogo lab that's looking at water chemistry that you're actually trying to understand, Okay, well, who is experiencing water chemistry problems in your community? You know, where are those experiences coming from? Who's not as impacted by it and why is that? And that brings in these socio-scientific aspects. Um, Troy Sadler talks a lot about that, socio-scientific issues as being a really important way of engaging youth. And so that's really what we're getting at with climate justice in the classroom is thinking about as we understand different issues of, like for um, one of the earth system science ones around water is around timing of water, you know, how much water there is and when, Um, and that type of like, Timing of water is really differentially impacts those in socioeconomic situations, different socioeconomic situations, because like maybe you have flood insurance, maybe you don't, Um, maybe you live in a place that's really heavily impacted, Um, and then your drinking water is contaminated when it floods. And so there's a lot of different sort of intersectional issues of justice that we see in the world, and it makes our science much more meaningful when we study in the context of real
1: world issues. So if I'm thinking about why I should engage in climate justice work, it's going to give my students a better understanding of how the science impacts the world around them. Mm -hmm. And I could see students become much more engaged in the science I'm trying to get them to understand because they understand how it could really impact different people within my community.
2: Absolutely. And even more so you can start exploring like the solutions, the different cultures and different communities are finding to these issues. Um, there was some really great work done by a National Geographic Explorer in the slums of Egypt, where the innovations that were going on for sanitation, for, um, and it was all chemistry. It was related to sanitation and water, wa- clean water, which is was essentially absent. There was no infrastructure in these slums. And um, the local people living there had figured out how to do it. And it was amazing. And then a National Geographic Explorer went there and studied how these folks were living in these spaces and developed a set of small sort of mobile equipment based on the technology that they were using. These really low and simple technologies, but like great adaptive technologies for the situation. And those things are now used in refugee camps all over the place because they're mobile and they're adaptive for that environment. And so sometimes the solutions that we're looking for for our real world problems are found in the real world applications of science and spaces. And you have to be able to work and see and learn from people in all different contexts to understand that.
1: And getting our students students engaged at that early stage <laughs> in Absolutely. out of the box solutions. Mm-hmm. So in our um, very politicized world right now, as a chemistry instructor, it's just kind of a controversial topic to be engaged in. You're bringing in, you've you've mentioned somewhat scary words like political and society um, that we don't always engage in, in the science community. What advice would you give to someone who's interested in the topic, but maybe reluctant um, to engage with their students on this topic?
2: It's funny that you say those two words, especially because, Um, So I've been working at the Institute of Science and Math Education for five or six years now, and um, six years I guess, and um, one of the very first, so I'm an uh, editor on the uh, STEM teaching tools, which helps um, science, technology, engineering, mathematics teachers address issues that are like coming up in practice. And one of the very first STEM teaching tools I wrote was how to address controversy in the classroom because we, I I was teaching it a lot um, in sort of high school biology context where evolution was coming up a lot. Um, but I also, you know, working a lot in climate change. And so you could see all of the controversies that were hitting. Um, so that tool is more general, not just climate change specific, but it provides, and I think I'll find it, I think it's number 44. Um, And so I would actually suggest that folks dig into those types of resources because they're really made to help teachers like find the resources they need to be able to address issues of controversy. The political one, um, we have hit that in our uh, Washington State Climate Science Education Collaborative. Um, So I'm working on the leadership team across, it's called Climb Time. Um, And there are lots of resources available for folks teaching climate change that are starting to populate that space. So it's climetime.org. But we wrote a STEM teaching tool called Navigating the Political Dimensions of Climate Change Teaching and Learning. Um, Just recently, it just came out. It's number 78. And um, it, it really helps people address issues of, quote unquote, politics in the classroom. And I say that with sort of air quotes because climate change is not a controversial topic among scientists it's a socially controversial topic and so what teachers tend to hit is they tend to hit parents who are or community members or administrators sometimes who are worried about um, having some kind of social conflict related to what's being taught in the classroom and that's real in many places in the country like it's a it's a visceral, real challenge, right? And so what teachers need to do in those spaces is you don't need to hold on to the words climate change to teach climate change, right? You can engage in things that are climate change adjacent, you know, like um, regenerative agricultural practices, like, you know, alternative transportation pathways, and those types of ideas to explore and get, get students involved with. Um, They're open to you. You just have to use the language and address the issues that are local to you. Um, And those issues that are important to local communities are not going to be as full of conflict as um, straight on saying, I'm going to teach climate justice in my classroom, right? You are teaching it. <laughs> You're just not naming it that way. And while I like to be very explicit in the work that I do it's there's a reality that exists for many in the country that they have to just, you know, work a little bit sideways from the language that we currently have, because the language is to stir up a lot of the political rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one other thing I would say on that is as you engage in those local topics, It's really important we walk this line as teachers sometimes between indoctrination and inquiry, and we need to really stay on the inquiry side of that line. So while I may have particular political opinions, I am a trusted adult in a teaching setting, and my political opinion should not be what I'm telling my class. But what I do, what I am responsible for in terms of climate justice is I am responsible to get kids to inquire into data that's in the world, get them to see and explore data. The inferences they make from that data should be logical and rational, like based on the scientific sort of principles of of inference. Um, But I shouldn't necessarily say that's right or wrong. I should just say that the process by which students are getting to that is right or wrong. And that's one of the ways to also address um, controversy and politics in the classroom. Is you're not teaching politics; you're teaching the practices that students need to engage in civic inquiry
1: properly. And I think that's really comforting because there are tools. You know, you mentioned there are tools available to us uh, at our fingertips already. And when I think about the uh, Pogal facilitator, an experienced POGIL facilitator mm-hmm. already focuses on the process and. Is working with their students on inquiry. Um, we're just putting it in a real world context where we do have to consider other things besides just the science of the situation.
2: Mm-hmm. Pogo's really well suited. Like the the pogo sort of frame of, of teaching is really well suited to this because it is about inquiry and it's about how we expand the data sets that we might have students look at. Mm-hmm. So maybe they look at chemistry data, and they look at socioeconomic data, and they look at those together to to think about a particular problem.
1: So one last final question I want to wrap up with, what is the most rewarding thing that you have experienced with engaging in climate justice work? So
2: one of the things, while it may seem scary to enter this space, one of the most rewarding things is that students love it. They get so excited about understanding how the things that they're learning in school matter to their families and their communities, matter to the world. Youth are engaged in in climate change, in climate justice work. They are way more connected than adults Mm -hmm. in social media and all different things. And understanding that as an educator is very critical if you're really going to engage students deeply in classroom learning or not necessarily just classroom, getting them outside too, you know, and um, school-based learning. And so I think that is potentially one of the most exciting things. And, um. For my, for me personally, I work in, in a lot of issues of how do we actually support people who are um, very in normalized positions. So people who have a lot of power or privilege, how do we support them in understanding issues of climate justice? And that's also extremely exciting is to see youth who think that they understand the world start to question and like explore more deeply and then really become humble learners about the world and about society. And that's gonna help us in the long run, that's gonna be what really helps to foster a lot of climate justice is people who are in privilege, not just understanding their privilege, but deeply understanding like their role in society and their responsibility to community.
1: Well, Deb, thank you for all the work that you've done in this area and you continue to do in this area. You're you're a wonderful leader. Um, I invite everyone to look out for information for the Pogel Climate Justice Symposium coming in 2022, um, where you can come and learn some more from Deb uh, and create a project of your own. Thank you so much, Deb. It was really great talking to you today. Thank you.
0: Thanks to all of you for listening to today's conversation on the Pogel podcast. For additional details on how you can engage with the Pogel Project or its working groups, contact Associate Director Marcy Dubroff at marcy.dubroff at Pogel.org. That's M-A-R-C-Y dot D-U-B-R-O-F-F at Pogel.org. The Pogel Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to make a donation so we can keep providing podcasts, low-cost workshops, and classroom materials, please visit www.pogle.org backslash donate. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Pogle practitioner, Wayne Pearson. Please join us next time when we feature another special episode of the Pogle podcast this season a cross-collaborative episode where co-host Dr. Alex Gruschow of Rider University interviews Dr. Brad Moser of Hamilton College and hosts the podcast Physics Alive. Until then, enjoy your week.